You just join me in uh, thanking our team one more time for leading us this morning. Amen. And amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you uh, in light of the circumstances. We just want to thank you for an opportunity to be here and to worship together. Uh, Father, we also pray for those uh, who can't be here with us, God. There are some who uh, are going to be home uh, this evening, this afternoon, uh, who want to be here, God, but simply can't. And so we pray over all of our, uh, our church family, our brothers and sisters, those who outside of our church, church family who wanted to join and just can't be because of the weather. Uh, God, we ask for your blessing over them and your presence with them uh, wherever they are. God, we love you. We thank you. Uh, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for braving the Arctic to be here. Uh, it's cold in Ohio sometimes, but I don't know that we're built uh, for this. So I'm grateful that we get a chance to be uh, together. LifePoint family, welcome back. Guests, if, if it is your first time here joining us at LifePoint, my name's Kale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. We're super grateful that you're here. Uh, LifePoint family, I know you hear this every time, but guests, uh, we try to just give some instructions here. There are some QR codes in front of you. If you're new and you're wondering, can I pull out my smartphone in church? Yes, you can. You can point your camera app there at that QR code or just type in lpguest.com. LPGuest.com. That's going to take you to a webpage called LPGuest.com. Our notes that are going to be up on the screens will be there for you. The passages that we'll read through uh, today, uh, we always do that just as a way of hopefully helping you uh, sort of navigate your time with us today. But we're super grateful that you joined us here uh, at Christmas Eve. Uh, we've been in a series, we've been uh, now four weeks, and we're actually finishing that up today here at Christmas Eve. And uh, it's been called, the series called Uncommon Crown. The big idea of the series, something we've said every single week is this, that Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom in our hearts. That Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom in our hearts. And hopefully you see, even in the phrasing of that, that he came to earth to establish his kingdom, where? In our hearts speaks to this reality that the kingdom of God is different. It's unlike any other kingdom. It has a king unlike any other king. In fact, through the four gospels, right, that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus taught and spoke on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven more than he talked about anything else. And as he talks about the kingdom of God, it becomes very apparent this kingdom does not look like the kingdoms of the world. It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And the way it grows is not through military power or conquest, though unfortunately over the ages, some have gotten that confused and have tried. But by its very nature, right, you, you can't grow the kingdom that way. You can't force others to believe in Christ. It's not a kingdom that grows through political influence or jockeying for power. It doesn't grow that way. The kingdom of God grows by God's grace through people's faith. It grows by God's grace through people's faith. The way the kingdom of God grows is that we go out and we preach the good news and we share the good news of Jesus from person to person in settings like this, in our homes, in our relationships. We pray for one another. We pray for those who don't know and love Jesus. And we share the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And here at Christmas time, we're celebrating the, the birth of Christ, that him entering into the war, world, this joy to the world kind of moment where light pierces the darkness and God comes in human form for us. And we share that with others. And as people respond to that in repentance and faith, 
by turning from sin and trusting Jesus with their life. Let's not overcomplicate the gospel, okay? The good news, turn from sin, trust Jesus with your life. It's more than that, but it's certainly not less than that. And that's really at the heart of it is meant turn and trust him. And as you trust him, as you believe in him and you believe he is who he says he is, the king, King Jesus, takes up residence in your heart. His reign and his rule is established in your heart and in your life. And that's the way the kingdom grows. And we are looking specifically at the birth of Christ here today. We're always as believers keeping an eye, not just on his birth, but on his life, on his death, on the cross, on his resurrection, and on his eventual return. But here at Christmas time, we take a moment as the church and have been doing so for 2,000 years just to celebrate the reality and the meaning of the incarnation of God taking on and putting on flesh. And this is how Luke tells us about it. Luke chapter two, starting in verse four, Luke gives us right, the most details about uh, the birth of Christ and the manger scene. And he says this, and Joseph, who is uh, Jesus's adoptive father, right? Mary's uh, hus <coughs> husband or soon to be husband. And says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, what's happening here is he has to return to his hometown because the Roman government, the Roman Empire has declared a census. Now, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, right? 2020 census happened. You probably got something in the mail as I did. And you had to get online or fill it all out and mail it back in. And maybe you were annoyed by that. Well, imagine having to actually pick up and travel back to wherever you're from at a time before cars or anything like that, right? That's really annoying. And so you gotta pick up and it's miles and miles and miles back to the hometown to register for this census. And it says in verse six, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And I want to pause and spend some time just on verse 7, that she swaddled him, right? We say it kind of, in some ways kind of odd, like she wrapped him and swaddled, she swaddled him. That's what it means, that she is swaddling this child and then she places him in a manger, which is actually an animal feeding trough because there's no suitable place for them, no room for them in the inn. And what I, why I'm honing in on this is I don't want the familiarity of the language and the familiarity of the passage. Some of us have been hearing this our entire lives and I don't want the familiarity of it to blind us to its stunning nature and message that Mary is swaddling the son of God. So I have four kids, right? Ages almost one to almost seven. I've done a fair bit of swaddling over the past six, seven years. My wife Morgan has done more than I have, but I've done a fair bit. And if you know the process of swaddling a child, it can be beautiful and it can be awful, right? Frustrating, annoying, right? That you're fighting with this little child, right? To get them to be comforted and stop crying. But if you get it right and you know what you're doing, you end up with this little burrito, <laughs> right? With a little head sticking out the top and it's, it's beautiful, but also, right, from the child's perspective, like you're looking at this little burrito and you're like, they're just a picture of helplessness and humility and vulnerability. And I think about this moment, this child, right? This little child that's been wrapped up this way, 
so that he'll stop crying and be comforted and feel like he's back in the womb again is the son of God. God has allowed himself, right? Has sent his son and the son of God has allowed himself to be swaddled by probably his teenage mother. When you think about it, I mean, have you ever taken a moment just to ponder that for a second? We say it and we just move on. I don't know I have, right? And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, that's pretty, you know, and you move on. But have you ever taken a moment just to think about what that says about God and his character? He's allowed himself to be swaddled by a human, by this teenage girl, the God of the universe. So God could have, if he wanted to, orchestrated, I mean, he could have orchestrated this differently. He could have said, I'm gonna come, and I'm gonna come in power and authority as a full-grown man, and he's coming that way the second time. But think about it. The first time that he comes, as he enters into the world, God chooses to come this way. Jesus, the Son of God, who by whom and for whom and through whom has been created all things, the God of the universe who, you go back to Genesis 1, it just says, in the beginning, God. He's there. He exists before anything. He needs nothing, creates all things, sustains it by the word of his power. And when he decides to step into earth to enact his plan and save humanity, he becomes one of us in order to save us. And he comes just like all of us in total helplessness, humility, and vulnerability. The king of the universe, the God of creation becomes one of us, a baby, and then has to be swaddled by his mom. If you really take a moment and just think of that, and think about what it says about the nature and the character of God that Jesus would humble himself this way and lay down his authority and his privilege and his power and he would come this way. I mean, there's a million reasons to worship God and be in awe of who he is and this is certainly one of them. This is just his birth. We haven't even gotten to his life, right? We're not gonna get there today, right, to his life of serving and suffering as the son of God and his death on the cross for you and for me and his resurrection and victory over the grave and then his return to consummate all things, to make all things new and put all things right. There's a million reasons to celebrate and worship and fall on your knees and say, God, there's no one like you, but at least one of them is the birth of Christ and the way in which he comes and what it says about who he is. My hope is that if you're here and you love Jesus, you're a Christian and maybe, maybe this Christmas season, you're, I mean, right now you're kind of looking back going, there hadn't been a whole lot of attention on the Lord. Like my mind has been scattered in a million different directions, but on the Lord is not one of them. I hope now is an opportunity for you to just repent and say, God, forgive me and help me. I just... I want my affections to be stirred for you again. I don't want to approach today or tomorrow, this season. I don't want to end out the year and start a new year emotionally or spiritually dead toward you. I want to be in awe of who you are. Well, start by thinking about what this says about God. Oh God, you became one of us in order to save us. You gave your life for me and you came as a helpless baby. What does that say about the character and love and gentleness of God? for the person who maybe is here. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're just interested. Maybe somebody dragged you here and you don't want to be here, right? I would, I would encourage you to just take a moment and think about, think about the birth of Christ and maybe consider a question. What other faith 
What other religion presents its hero, its founder, its God this way? Think about that for a moment. We have this tendency as human beings to always want to present the story and ourselves, right? Or whatever we're trying to get across in the best possible light. Let's try to put the best foot forward. And yet here in our sacred text, in Christianity's founding documents, Luke, this authoritative voice in the early church is like, let me tell you how this happened. Let me introduce you to the Savior, the one that I want you to put your faith in as the Son of God who's going to be able to save you. And I'm going to present him as a baby, helpless, vulnerable, a child being swaddled by his mother, lying in an animal feeding trough on the side of the road in Bethlehem. I don't know why you would do that. I mean, if you're trying to invent, like, let's create up a story that people will believe and then they'll give their lives to it. Why would you do it this way? I don't know that you would. I think it speaks volumes to its truth about who God is. We would not choose to do it this way, to write the story this way, to tell it this way. And yet that's how it happens. As we sang earlier, mild he lays his glory by. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. As I sat and I pondered it, and I asked that question, what does this say about the Lord? I thought about Jesus's words from Matthew 11. God is sovereign and powerful and in control of all things. And he also is lowly and gentle. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anyone willing to admit as we close out this year, like, Lord, I just need rest for my soul. <laughs> I just, I need rest in a way that's more than physical in a way that's just more than mental and emotional. I need re that holistic rest for my soul. Jesus says, then come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are a lot of things that we see in the birth of Christ, but at least one of them is seeing the gentleness of Jesus, his care for the lowly, his turning upside down the values of this world and his love for sinners like you and me, that he would become one of us in order to save us. He goes on in verse eight, Luke chapter two, verse eight and nine. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Speaking of turning uh, the values of the world upside down, I love this moment. Um, so in our culture, we tend to, we tend to uh, honestly kind of romanticize and honor the profession of shepherding, right? I think that's because our, of our sort of Christian heritage, right? That when you think of shepherds, you think about the guys at the manger scene, you're like, oh, shepherds, right? They care for people. What great guys, right? Really love shepherds. It's not necessarily how they're thought of at this point in time. Shepherds' work was considered kind of dirty, smelly, right? I don't know if anyone remember the show from 10 or 15 years ago, right? Called Dirty Jobs, where Mike, the host would apprentice himself. He would go find the people whose jobs are those jobs that you're like, I'm so glad somebody does that job. And I'm so glad it's not me, right? 
he would find people whose jobs, like they clean out your sewer, right? And it's just, I mean, they're down there and it's like, this is dirty and it's kind of gross. If there were like a Roman Empire version of dirty jobs, the shepherds might've made one of those episodes because their jobs, they slept outside. They kind of stank, right? They smelled like the animals. It was difficult work. And in their culture, they were to some extent considered on the bottom of the social totem pole. And that's what's so stunning about this. I keep coming back to that word, like stunning, that God, as he decides, I'm going to send angels to announce the birth of my son, the most significant birth the world has ever seen, the most significant moment in the world up until that point in time. How and who am I going to announce it to? To shepherds in the middle of nowhere in the night. Think about this. So juxtapose this with, it's the Roman Empire. When a new Caesar is announced, right? When someone becomes Caesar, the old Caesar dies. Someone becomes, I mean, it's pomp and circumstance and sometimes bloody violence, right? But pomp and circumstance and the throne and the city of Rome. But when the king of heaven is announced to shepherds in their fields, watching over their flocks by night, God, again, why would you do it this way? I think, it, I mean, I think it really does speak to the truth of this narrative of what Luke is saying, because if you were just inventing a narrative, none of this really makes a whole lot of sense. But I think that's part of the point is God does things differently than we do. And he sees the heart and he chooses the lowly and he exalts those who humble themselves and humbles those who exalt themselves. And so God, as he sends the angels to announce the birth of the Savior, says, I'm gonna go to shepherds in their fields watching over their flocks by night. It really is stunning, mind-blowing when you think about it. But such is the nature of God. He is not like us and his ways are higher than our ways. And this is how he chooses to come and this is how he chooses to announce his coming. Verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were feel, filled with great fear. Once again, that moment, it's just highlighting the importance of the moment. Uh, when you see the glory of God shining like this manifested, when that happens in the Bible, it generally happens at really, really, really significant moments. The glory of God being manifested like this is not an everyday occurrence. All of heaven is rejoicing at this moment. The shepherds don't know exactly what's going on from a human perspective. It seems like, well, there's just a baby being born in an animal feeding trough in Bethlehem. But from heaven's perspective, they know. And all of heaven is rejoicing that this is not just a baby, but it's the son of God in human form. That's why we sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. This child is God himself. And Luke goes on in verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. We've gone over before just the significance of those three things he says, right? A savior who is Christ the Lord. He's God. He came to save us. And when he says he's Christ, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. And that was a term that meant so much to the Jewish people and should mean so much to us when we understand it. What these angels are telling these shepherds is, guys, the one that you've been waiting for and that our people have been waiting for for more than a thousand years, 
the one who's the fulfillment of all of God's promises to all of the people we've all read about. Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard some of these things. God's promises to Abraham when he tells him through you and his promises to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob when he says through you, I'm gonna bless all the nations and all the families of the earth. His promises to David, David, I'm gonna put you on the throne and I'm gonna give you a king from your line who's gonna sit on that throne forever and he's gonna have an everlasting kingdom. The promises to the people of Israel all throughout their history, I'm choosing you and I'm gonna use you to reach all the peoples of the world. The promises to the prophets that the prophets then spoke to the people that someday, one day God would send this Messiah who will take away our sin and heal our diseases and give us new hearts and by his wounds we're going to be healed and he's going to bring salvation to us and not just to us but to all who would believe the angels are looking at these shepherds and saying guys now's the time and this is he this child is the fulfillment of the promises of God the one who's come to save us and they say to the shepherds and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We could go on, but I'm gonna... I'll close this out here in a moment. I want to give you one more statement I'll throw here on the screen that Christmas is a reminder for us. Christmas reminds us there's always a reason for joy. Christmas reminds us there's always a reason for joy. The angel said it earlier, I bring you good news of great joy. Why is it that I highlight that statement? Because I'm aware, right? I'm aware for some of us here this afternoon this has been a season of joy for you. For some of us, from a circumstantial perspective, it's been a good season. Things are good in your life, maybe in your job, in relationships, in your family. And you know what? Praise God for that. All good gifts from, come from God. Don't praise the gifts, but praise the Father who gives those gifts. Praise Him. If this has been a sweet season for you, I'm happy for you and I hope that you just see through that sweet season to the one who gave it and say, Lord, thank you. And you remember that joy is not primarily found in the sweetness of that season, but in the sweetness of just who God is and his finished work at the cross for you. His birth, his life, his death and his resurrection. I'm also aware that for some of us, this has not been a sweet season. Some of us have come into the Christmas season and it's a season of heartache, of heart searching, a season of loss, empty chair at the table that used to be filled. It's been a season of difficulty. It's been one of those valley moments that Psalm 23 talks about. But if you remember Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say next? I will fear no evil for you are with me. One of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the reason for joy, the thing we're celebrating here at Christmas, the reason Christmas reminds us there's always reason for joy is because our joy as believers is not attached in any circumstance. It is attached to the person and work of Jesus. And God here at Christmas time 
didn't leave us alone in that suffering, but he entered into that suffering. He entered into that suffering, into that valley season. I love right, uh, Brian and Allison talking about it earlier, right? I'll, three years ago, that's a valley season for them as some of us go through. And it's hard sometimes in those moments, it's easy to lose sight of what's true. It's easy, it's tempting to think maybe God, maybe you're not good, but Christmas reminds us, no, no, no. What was true on the mountaintop is still true in the valley. And what was true when the sun was shining is still true when the clouds roll in. And in this valley, it is still true that God is good and that he did not leave me or you or us alone, but rather he sent his son who entered into that suffering, experienced everything that we do except without sin. And then even better, went to the cross and took that sin on himself and paid our debt and then rose from the grave that we might have new life. Christmas is a reminder. There's always a reason for joy, but here's the thing. Our response to his coming matters. It's one thing to sing the songs. It's another thing to know it intellectually, to know the story. It's another thing to believe it here and to live it out and to say, Father, will you help me to trust? And Allison said it so well. She said, if you want deep levels of faith, you gotta sow small seeds of trust each day, trusting him in every circumstance, in every situation. And that's hard. And we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, help my unbelief, <laughs> help me to trust. And so if you're here and you're a believer in Christ, here's my encouragement to you. I, I want, again, I want your affections to be stirred for Christ. It's what I've asked God in my own heart. Lord, stir my affections for you. And I wanna encourage you and plead with you, trust him today. Sow those small seeds of faith today. Trust him with that relationship. Trust him with that circumstance. Trust him in that valley. Trust him with that child. Trust him with that job. Trust him with that broken dream. Trust him with any and every circumstance. Hand it over to him and say, Lord, I know that you're still good. And the birth of Christ you sending your son, the cross of Christ, his resurrection, God with us, it proves it. You're a good God and there's reason for joy. Choose to sow those seeds of faith today and trust him. And then if you're here and you're not a believer, I'm so thrilled that you're here. My invitation to you would be this, to take that first step today, to plant that first seed and to turn from your sin and trust Jesus with your life. When you ask the question, what is it? I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to celebrate this savior? It's not about what do you need to do in order to please God? You catch the angels there at the end said, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, how do I please God? Not by performing a certain way so that when the scales in the end are tipped, right? It's just slightly in your favor. The scriptures are real clear. The way that we please God is through faith by turning from our sin and trusting his son, Jesus, and saying, I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are, that you were born, that you lived, that you died in my place, and you rose again, that I might have new life. And if you've never taken that step, never trusted Jesus with your life, then I wanna invite you to plant that first seed today and sing with the angels, maybe for the first time, glory to God in the highest 
as you receive God's son for who he is, Savior, Christ, the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I ask uh, that you would stir the affections of every person here, God, who, uh, who knows you and who loves you. God, um, I ask forgiveness, Lord. My heart, it has been hard. It's, it's been a difficult season for me personally, for our family, and I know many of us sit in that position right now, Lord, where it's been a longer and deeper and darker valley. God, will you stir our affections once more that we might just fall on your knees and sing. You are worthy and you are good and help us on a daily basis to sow those small seeds of trust that we might have deep levels of faith. Increase our faith, Lord, and grow our love and our obedience and our passion for you. God, thank you that you are not like us. In some ways, yes, but Father, that you do things in ways that we don't. Thank you for your birth, Jesus, that you would humble yourself that way and become one of us in order to save us. Help us to have humble hearts like that. And Father, I pray for any who are here today who came in these doors not knowing you. And if that's you right now, I just, I wanna speak to you for just a moment. We're gonna continue to pray and it's a real personal moment. I don't think you're here by accident. It's zero degrees and it's negative 20 wind chill. <laughs> by all rights, you shouldn't be here, but you are. And you have an opportunity today to leave differently than you came in. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. But your response to him matters. And so I'd, I'm gonna pray and you can pray with me. You can pray in your own words. God, today I wanna have peace with you. I want my sins forgiven. And I am done trying to solve this on my own. Right now I turn from sin and I trust you with my life, Jesus. And I believe you were born that men no more may die. That I might have second birth. And today I trust you with my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.